0: I wonder how Greg Dyke feels.
1: Well, Greg Dyke, who knows? I mean, Greg Dyke was a Man United fan and a Brentford fan, and he played an important part in Bees United. And we actually, I've been a director of Bees United for many years. I've actually just come off the board. But we put together, I was the editor of this, a really, really good book a few months ago that we gave to all Bees United members, uh, which talked about the move to Lionel Road. It's called Bees, Battles, Buckets and Ballot Boxes.
0: Good. How,
1: how Breakford Fans Paved the Way from Griffin Park to Lionel Road. It's a Bees United publication. It's a bloody good book which talks about fan ownership of clubs and how we wrested control of the club away from the dreaded Ron Nodes. Boo! Um, and eventually overcame massive obstacles and to It's a really, really, really good
0: book. Well, it must adorn the shelves of the football library along with, ahead of the game, Growing Pains and, and Ooh, The ooh-ah. Bob Booker ooh-ah. Story, which is £13 in the paperback, £8 on the Kindle. You have approving quotes from Henry Winter, Dick Knight. Uh, Mike Calvin calls Bob Booker one of football's hidden heroes. We'll turn to him now because I know nothing about him. Uh, Ah! He turned assistant management into an art form. So I'll link that back to the current era. What do you think? Is it um, O'Neill? Who's Thomas Frank's assistant? Well,
1: Thomas Frank's assistant, he has two. He has a a Danish guy called Brian Rima, who coaches the defence and he has Kevin O'Connor who's a Brentford legend institution Yes. who sort of Hovers around and assists as well. And Thomas so like Frank them, was them, Dean
0: Smith's number three, so he has experience coaching as well.
1: He he helped Dean Smith along with Richard O'Kelly.
0: Richard O'Kelly's the one I was thinking of, who's now at yes. Villa, I imagine.
1: Yeah, he, he goes around, you know, he, he he goes around with Dean Smith. Thomas Frank's done an incredible job, and I my heart goes out to him. He's a wonderful man, a bright man, a very urbane man. He's the sort of bloke you'd really enjoy having a glass of wine with and having a just shooting the breeze, maybe not even about football. He's done a brilliant job. Yes, he makes mistakes. Of course, he makes mistakes. But he's, he's had one hand tied behind his back in many respects with injuries and lack of players. And, you know, he's really, really done a good job. And he deserves to, to uh, be head coach of a promotion team. We should have done it last season. I, I think. There was a very interesting interview with Brian Riemer in a Dutch website or publication not long ago, which we managed to get translated and put it on B United, where he talked about, and I think the players were just a little bit overwhelmed. You know, they were, did they win, was it, seven in a row after lockdown last year, and suddenly got themselves in the catbird seat. And the pressure of those last two games was just too much for them. Uh, particularly the Stoke game, because I always remember on the Friday night, Huddersfield beat West Brom, and I looked up to the heavens and said, There is a God, there is a God up there. I just couldn't believe that Huddersfield had beaten West Brom. And suddenly it was in our hands. And I think if the two games had kicked off at the same time, we'd have won at Stoke. But I just think we just crumbled a little bit, because for the, it, was, it was in our hands. Could we win against Stoke? Stoke, of course, about the world's worst team to play off like that because they were as creative and as aggressive as the Maginot line. <laughs> you know, they just sat back and sat back and sat back and picked us off a stupid goal on the break. And we just couldn't get that. We created absolutely nothing in the whole game. The referee put me a couple of decent penalty shouts, of course, got nowhere. Uh, it was one of those games we just weren't going to win. That was the big chance. And then, of course, Barnsley at home on the last day was an absolute mad game. The worst thing, of course, that happened is that Barnsley beat Nottingham Forest in about the 99th minute. Yep. I, I sort of groaned because I just thought if Barnsley were already down, they wouldn't have played. They played, I mean, it, I don't know, the adrenaline and the energy and the pressing. They were incredible. They, they deserved to win. We just didn't really get started. They pressed us to death. After we equalised, we had a massive, massive chance for Ollie Watkins with about 10 minutes to go. And he just couldn't quite get on a Ram cross about five yards out. And if that had gone in, we'd have gone up. And then, of course, Bastards won it in the last minute. Not that it really mattered. Um, so we owe Barnsley one.
0: <laughs> it would be we'll fun see. if you met them. Uh, we'll find out who gets whom next mm. weekend. Um, Bob Booker. Did you have the idea to write the book or was it thrust upon you?
1: No, it was my idea. I wanted to write something that had a little bit more appeal than just in Brentford because believe me, if you want to make a living writing books on Brentford, you're going to starve. I knew Bob, not well, but we'd met. What I liked about him is that he was every man. He was basically who you and I would be if we were good enough to be a footballer. He just was passionate. He was... He loved doing what he did. He was grateful. He never took it for granted. He worked hard. He wasn't the most gifted player in the world. I found it where he was, and he's a driving instructor down in Brighton. So I contacted him, and we, he sort of vaguely remembered me, and we just had a chat. And I said, I want to write a book about you. And he said, why? Who's interested in me? And I said, well, you know, it's more who you represent. Mm. The journeyman footballer. Of the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and then the fact that he stayed in a job—he stayed in one job under six managers as assistant manager—that doesn't happen. So, I sort of wrote a timeline of his life because I knew a lot about his Brentford, his Brentford days, and I knew who to speak to about Shepherd United, and did a lot of research. And I found an amazing guy down in Brighton who used to publish, not a fanzine, but it was like a monthly almanac of everything that happens at, at Goldstone Ground.
0: Yeah, or like Wisden. Was, or, yeah, a bit like Wisden that. for seagulls. You know, he,
1: bless him, sent me 10 years' worth of this stuff. And it was match reports, it was news, it was who we're signing, it was it, it, gold dust. So by reading that, I became an instant expert on Brighton in the early 2000s. Anyway, I, I wrote, and Bob is an incredibly nice man. I must have spoken to about 30 or 40 people he played with, he coached, his managers, the managers he worked with, and if I said nobody had a bad word to say about him, I'm not
0: exaggerating. Oh, wow.
1: Nobody. They all, everyone loves him. you know. And you talk to someone like Steve Koppel, who's a bright man, interesting man, and Steve Koppel, who I'm told is a little bit taciturn sometimes, he just talked and talked and talked on the phone for about 25 minutes on Bob Booker stories. And, you know, he wasn't alone. So I wrote this introduction on why I'm writing this book. And Bob and I had talked. We hadn't met. And he was living down not too far from Brighton. And we went down to meet. And I brought this, uh, this introduction, this, this, this sort of introductory chapter to show him. And, you know... I thought, hopefully he'll like it. So he takes this. It's about five pages, and it's in the book. And he came out about ten minutes later in tears. And he said, this is me, you know? And we became instant friends. And he's one of the kindest, nicest, loving people you could ever meet. Gorgeous man. We just had a lot of fun. We just had a lot of fun. And the other good thing about him is... His memory was pretty good. You know, obviously he's headed a lot of balls, but his memory was pretty good. And he kept very big, uh, voluminous scrapbooks. And also, he was a bit of a hoarder. So he gives me this folder, and it's gold dust. In this folder was every single contract he ever signed, you know, from Brentford, Sheffield United. So I, I read these contracts, which were literally uh, surf and master contracts, you know, two pages, and literally, he'd say, well, there was no negotiation. He never had an agent. His dad used to advise him. And he'd go in, and it would literally shut the door after you, sign here, shut the door after you, goodbye, next one. It was a different world. So I, I wrote an awful lot about the world of being a footballer in those days, living on one-year contracts, mm-hmm. never having any job security, always feeling you're about to be replaced, managers who had put you on the transfer list, neglect to tell you, which is what happened to him, being fired by David Webb. Oh, I had to be very careful. Oh, I just read read about David
0: Webb just today. There was something in the Times about his tackle for Chelsea 50 years Uh, ago, the Cupman's Cup.
1: Yeah, well, anyway.
0: Okay. Uh, There's another side time.
1: Difficult man, David Webb, shall we say. I'm not going to talk too much about David Webb. It's in the book. But, you know, and basically it's footballer as surf. So I wrote this book and then he he. Basically, at 30, he had a bad. He had a knackered knee. Oh, the worst thing Bob ever did was score a hat trick on his full home debut. He made his debut actually at Vicarage Road against Watford. And Bob was born in Garston. Which
0: yeah, made. just down the road. Just down just the down road. Forty-one from me. Yeah.
1: So on his league debut, as a 20, he was an apprentice um, furniture maker in a factory um, in in Watford, and. He eventually becomes a trialist, you know, never has an apprenticeship, plays for uh, Bedman Town and he signs for Brentford and eventually, because of injury, he makes, he makes his debut just after he signed as a professional. He's about 20 and he's, he's marked by Ian Bolton. We all know Ian Bolton. And Ian Bolton, who of course was a Watford hero at the time, eventually became Bob's brother. in law I Bob. love
0: that. I've, I read that and I thought that's brilliant because no one's had a bad word to say about Ian Bolton either.
1: Well, I had a few bad words to say about him because he was rubbish at Brentford. And, <laughs> and his, his legs are gone. Yeah, he, he'd used lag- up
0: all his good luck with... Uh, yeah. and Gary Roberts,
1: who was a very astute observer, Brentford winger, I've got a quote from him saying, my God, his, his legs are gone. First training session, he said, what have we bought him for? His legs are gone. And then there was a wonderful book about by a guy called David McVeigh about life as a Knox County player in the 70s. And he talks about Ian Bolton played for Knox County before Watford and he be you know at the coming in stuffing his face uh, with pies and on his second pack of Rothman's or whatever at twelve in the bath and you know and basically I said now that might be an explanation for why Ian Bolton's career ended suddenly at the age of thirty. Mm. He didn't look, he didn't look after himself. So Bob was on the way out, his knees were knackered, he'd missed a year, he was twenty-nine and he was mates with the physio at Sheffield United, and Sheffield United were just building that wonderful team, a bit like Watford, in the late 80s, 88, under Dave Bassett.
0: Brian Dean. With a, a, a
1: Garner and Dean, 4 4 ball in the channels, you know, and Bob was brought in by them, and he was literally about to retire, and he came in, and he ended up skippering them from the third division to the first division. And the front cover picture of the book is Bob making his first division debut at the age of, I think, 31 or 32 against Liverpool with this look of amazing wonderment on his face. And he's smiling at his dad in the crowd. Wow. And he just, again, he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. And suddenly he started earning d- decent money. I think he earned £500 a week at his peak at Sheffield United. And he had... Three, three and a half seasons at Sheffield United doing really well, but again time waits for no man and Dave Bassett says, I've had um, Phil Holder of Brentford on the phone you're going there
0: <laughs> Classic and Dave
1: It was the morning of a local derby against Sheffield, against Sheffield Wednesday and he sends him round the pitch to say goodbye, you know, in front of 30,000 people, oh, no. and Bob's in tears the whole way round, because Bob's a very emotional man and then he comes back to Brentford as the best-paid player in the squad, having been one of the worst all the way through, which again shows the way the football hierarchy works. And he came back to Brentford and helped them win promotion from the third division to the second. But his knees had gone, and he never really did much for them. Then David Webb got rid of him really nastily. He then came back as youth coach, was driving, you know, worked 16-hour days literally for nothing, And Mickey Adams took him to Brighton, where he became assistant manager. And he had a a wonderful time at Brighton, got remarried up there, is very happy. And he's worked for everything he's he's had, and I adore the man.
0: I have a very high threshold for Then I Did This, Then I Did This memoirs. Mm -hmm. But who are the Bob Booker story? Not just because he's born uh, in the same place as Kelly Smith, Garston, near Watford, or North Watford, but because th- you've sold me. I would love to read this book. Uh, it what came out you? in 2017. The paperback is Do £13. It. It. And the Kindle is £8. Where are all the copies? Are they under? Uh, are they in a spare room? Or has the publisher got them?
1: No, to, to be honest, um, it's still selling a bit. Not
0: much. Oh, Was it in the club shop selling- at Lionel Road?
1: Um, when it might be there. Good. To be honest, I haven't been there yet. Um, I, I've actually only got one copy left, to be honest, because I've given a few away. Um, I mean, it's available. Uh, uh, the, the place to find it would be Amazon.
0: Yeah, as um, is always the case.
1: As is always the case. I must get a few others. I've got a nice signed copy on the wall, framed. Oh, you know, great. Bob did something, uh, which was nice of him. This is um, you're,
0: you're not the first person to look back to a player or a squad. James Bentley, who's a Berry fan. Wrote oh, about yeah. Barry in the eighties. I, um, I
1: read it. I read his book. Oh, you I know,
0: it you book. do know. Yeah, it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and the the best books are the ones. The Last Champions. Dave Simpson's book about the Leeds First Division winning team. Brian Viner's book about yeah. the Everton side of I think eighty five eighty six, where he talks yeah. to everyone. That's the uh, obviously Mike Calvin's book, Family, which is the best. Yeah. um no, uh, I mean, I
1: mean, uh, yes, I mean, absolutely. The Mike Calvin books. I've just got hold of his new book. I haven't really got into it yet. There's a lot about Watford in there because, of course, he was brought up there.
0: Yep.
1: So I've met Mike a few. He's a very nice man. He was actually quite helpful to me with the booker. Was quite supportive. Johnny Good. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike is Mike is a very very good writer, and I'm I'm excited about his new book, which I'm literally in, uh, just reading the first chapter at the moment.
0: Yeah, he he told me about the first chapter when we spoke just the other week, um, and his next book is going to be fascinating. Uh, the clue is, it's not football. OK. Um, that's all I can say. You'll have to listen to the recording. He's a, a Millwall fan of some repute. He's a lapsed Watford well, fan. Was was your love of the bees, did it ever lose its sting, sorry? Or no, have you always... No, it's,
1: it's always been there. Just to say that um, one of Mike's first books was called Family. And he was a fly on the wall at... Millwall for I think it was about 2008-9 or something like that or maybe no maybe 10-11 uh, I think 10-11 when they when they won the playoffs yeah and he literally because he's known Kenny Jacket for, for yonks he sat on the bench and he had absolute access everywhere and he's written an incredible book about the machinations and workings of a football club Family is, and it's sort of an undiscovered masterpiece, if you see what I mean.
0: Everyone who's um, read it loves it.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic, it's a really, really, really good book. And at the same time, Neil Harmon's book, Close Quarters, which came out the beginning of this season, about a year with Wickham, where he literally, again, touched gold, you know, with, with Wickham's season last year, going up through the playoffs, is a wonderful book. So I can totally recommend uh, Neil Harman's Close Quarters. I don't know if you've interviewed him about. No, it I, I tried
0: to get him on. I think he's he was very busy promoting it, but I will try and find an hour yeah. with him since we're coming up to tennis season and that's his main, or was his main métier. Um, but yeah, Close Quarters is a uh, Gareth Ainsworth. I I would love to read his book, Gareth Ainsworth. Yes.
1: Well, Gareth Ainsworth, and I, I mean, if you look at sort of weird, I mean, I love weird and wonderful football books as opposed to all the, you know, ghost-written dross. And I'll, I'll mention a couple of others. There was a book that came out, oh, four or five years ago, called "Retired" by a guy called Alan Gurnan, who I think's a stand-up comedian. Boy, this wasn't a, this wasn't a bundle of laughs. It's what happens to footballers when the game's up. And this book was very hard-hitting. Um, it's a pitch book, you know. Pitch yep. obviously published lots of football books, uh, not mine though. Never mind. And. Um, this book retired was a fantastic book. It really told it as it was about it's what you know the stresses and strains, and it's a bit like the realism of my Bob Booker book, where it tells what it's like actually to be on the dole and to be kicked out of a club, or to be injured for a year and you're not getting any bonuses. Well, the classic of all time, and this is this book's sixty years old, is of course or fifty years fifty yes is of course the Soccer Syndrome by John Moynihan. I spoke
0: to Leo. Leo was very, very passionate about what John did, and yeah, him and Glanville uh, invented football criticism. I
1: I used to play football for Brian's team, the Chelsea Casuals.
0: Oh wow! Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, You get your football library membership card, and it's got Brian Glanville shushing. Oh! As soon as I get them printed out, but yeah, I've heard tell about this uh, Chelsea Casuals team. Who else was in the side?
1: Oh, it's just lots of journalists, winter students, and. Samuel? No, no I'm, I'm, I'm going. No, I'm going back. Christ, I'm going back to the early seventies.
0: Okay, Waldridge.
1: I'm going at well, Waldridge. I used to work with his wife at IMG, oh. but that was something else. But yeah, you know, those were the days. But anyway, uh, anything by Glambles. But Soccer Syndrome is one of the best books. It's a, it's sort a series of vignettes about soccer in England after the war. Incredible, incredibly funny and astute book. And then, I'll tell you what, here's a, here's a mad book for lower division fans. And it's another pitch book that came out about three or four years. And it probably sold about five copies, which I probably bought two of It came out in 2016. A guy called Simon Carter. And it's called, are you ready for this? Gus Honeybun, Your Boys Took One Hell of a Beating. A Love Affair in the Lower Leagues. It's a love affair with Exeter City. And it's a brilliant book. It is so funny. And it just talks about the reality of of watching a team who are rubbish. The guy can write. I mean, there's so many self-published books. And good luck to people who publish their own books. But so many of them are just so turgid, I'm afraid. And I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Uh, this, and it's his journal, is, is a wonderful book. It's, called, as I say, by a guy called Simon Carter. So I'll stop recommending all these weird and wonderful books now. But th- those are some that I've really enjoyed.
0: Days and nights of miracle and wonder down in the lower divisions, mainly out of sight of the glamour, the glitz, the greed and the furious milking of Murdoch's cash cow, the wretched animal with the blistered (laughs) udders, mainly out of sight of the back pages of the national press and the main headlines on Sky TV, but days and nights that still mean something, will always mean something, mean a hell of a lot actually. Games that mean a lot to me and games that mean a lot to you. Games that mean a lot to us uh spencer vineyards gave me a recommendation of this and the it looks uh it's divided it's very well written because it's divided into very short readable chapters about 90 of them Uh, the font is on the smallest it can be for me to read a book i want to read this book i need to get around to talking about simon because i'm trying to read the 92 Uh, and do you just have an affection for red and white striped shirts is that why you uh, like this book so much? Because it's about excellence? No, not
1: really. It, no, I just like well-written. I, I like well-written books that I find stimulating. And teach me, tell me something I don't know. So, you know, I've written a few football books. I've written a book recently on the law, which is interesting, hopefully. So that's doing well.
0: Yes, ask, um, ask within for information. Grev yes, Waterman on yes, Twitter. Yes, ask within. Sign Say, no Say no
1: more. And it's, complete, and it's actually gave me a lot of confidence because it proved I can write on things that I didn't think I knew a lot about, but actually done well. So I'm now looking for something new to write, but we'll, 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 we'll decide in the next six months or so.
0: Oh, good. Well, if it's football, you will have to come back on. Uh, all of your books uh, are garlanded on the shelves of the football library, including <laughs> "Ooh Are? The Bob Booker Story. And the pair that came out of the BFC Talk blog ahead of the game and growing pain. So what I've done to finish, uh, 2014-15 highlights the Brentford 125th anniversary book.
1: Well, yes. I mean, there's a wonderful guy called Dave Lane who has Legends Publishing. And Dave and another Brentford fan who's a great historian called Mark Croxford and I combined on a few Brentford history books, which are sort of big glossy picture lots of pictures you know 30 pound books you know we, on we did we did the big brentford book of the 70s 80s and 90s brentford 125 book dave and mark did a griffin park book and they've done various other books if you want something on brentford that's big and glossy and has lots of photographs the harry curtis book. harry curtis was the manager who took brentford from the third to the first division look at legends publishing and there's some incredible books, some of which I'm honored to have helped on uh, or co-authored, some I didn't, um, which are, are well worth. And there's another one lately called Brentford Reimagined, which is an incredible guy who's found this colorization technique, who's put found lots of black and white photographs that he's recolored. And they're fantastic.
0: Oh, swell. Uh, And now to some of the the on-the-pitch glories of that season. The excellent performance in defeat at AFC Bournemouth when I realised for the first time that we would be able to cope with the demands of the championship. So we're now seven years on from that. And you've definitely coped. Um, It's it's likely that you may meet Bournemouth once or twice in the next few weeks. Uh, Did you envy them when Bournemouth went up
1: yeah, I mean, Bournemouth bought their way to promotion, if I remember rightly. Correct. Um, I think I think they um, totally ignored financial fair play, whether it came to bite them in the backside when they got relegated or not, or whether they got away with it, I don't know, or whether they got fined. Um, yeah, I mean, Bournemouth... I mean, I just want Brentford to get there, but I want to get there, them to get there in a way that doesn't ruin the club for the next 10, 20 years. So, you know, I, I just have a feeling at the moment you just cannot make money in football.
0: No, um, no. It's a, it's a state. It should be a state-run enterprise at some levels. Mm, uh, Ian Holloway's heartfelt praise of how our club was run. Mm, um, yeah. In what respect? Just the, the atmosphere. I, I
1: think, I think Ian Holloway at that time actually, because uh, Mark Warburton was the manager there, and Mark Warburton is an interesting man, fantastic, a you know, different background and everything else, and he has his way of playing. He literally has plan A, and his plan B is to do plan, plan A better. <laughs> um, Frank is, Thomas Frank is a little bit more flexible than that, not a lot. Mark Warburton actually could still be Brentford manager now, if he hadn't decided that the Matthew Benham way was not the way he wanted to run and you know, manage the club. And that was a terrible shock because I always remember one of those wonderful days, sort of kissed by the gods, in about February two thousand and fifteen. My son went to uni at Leeds.
0: Ooh, good uni
1: I took him up to Leeds against Brentford and Brentford won 1-0 at Ellen Road. And of course, you know, it's like a Nuremberg rally up there. Horrendously ghastly club. Horrendously ghastly fans.
0: Terrible away end as well.
1: They stick you in the corner and charge you 40 quid for it. Um, Everything I hate about football, and this this is probably going to get me death threats and everything else, but by the way, look up sometime the the two pictures of Neil Mopay after he scored against Leeds and the way he milks it in front of their supporters, it is the funniest things ever because he'd been given absolute shit all the way through the games and then he scored twice against them. And of course, this year, he scores at, he scores at Ellen Road for Brighton and there are no fans there, but he does exactly the same thing. He goes up to their cop and sort of... Gives it lard and again, and he knows exactly what he's doing. It's just hilarious. Good, um, but anyway, so Leeds. We went up to Leeds. We won one nil. I had a great day with my son, and then, of course, the shit hit the fan two days later with um, Warburton Gate, where you know he fell out badly with Matthew Benham, and that was
0: only going to end one way. Indeed, yep. Yeah. Two bankers locking heads. It's much like mm. Cummings and Johnson, but we have to gloss over. That, because we need to talk Andre. Lowlights of the season. Andre Gray missing from point-blank range in injury time at Wolves. Andre Gray's Uh, horror show against Brighton in the FA Cup. Andre uh, Gray's shank in the first minute at Norwich.
1: Yeah, well, uh, there's a pattern emerging there. But at the same time, Andre Gray came to Brentford from Luton for not very much money. He was going to be reserve striker to Scott Hogan, who also was a lower league gamble from Rochdale... (laughs) Hogan got injured in pre-season and then, of course, did his cruise ships for the first of two times. So Gray was thrown in and he was so raw, but he had such pace and ability. Um, it took him a long time to settle, but by November, he'd probably only got about three or four goals. He then went crazy and sort of got scored for fun. But he scored, I think, 17, I'm guessing, but yeah. about 17, <laughs> but could have had 40. But at the same time he he you know he was he was there from non the league. he'd come from nowhere. he played a couple of league games, I think, for Shrewsbury three or four years back as a kid, and then he he sort of fell in with the wrong crowd I yeah. think I think Luton, I think Luton rescued him, and we took a gamble on him, and then of course we sold him right at the beginning of the following season to Burnley, I think for about eight or nine million or something like that, maybe it was up to nine million. And he led them to the promised land. So, you know, nothing but uh, praise for Andre Gray. I think he'll uh, play
0: next weekend. Uh, this weekend. I think he'll play... Yeah.
1: Well, uh, the last time Watford came to Brentford was a pre-season friendly a couple of years ago. And it became a kicking match. It was really horrible. And you had a guy called Success. I remember Still that. here. He, played, he
0: might play as well and, on Saturday. He
1: played up front... Who And dear Gavin Ward was refereeing, if I remember rightly. And this guy should have had about five red, five yellow cards in the game. And he just literally kicked anyone that moved. I don't know what it was about. Something, something that happened. Mm-hmm. And one of our players got injured for about three or four months by him, which really didn't please us. Macondes, I think. All I care about now are the playoffs and what happens
0: in them. Mm-hmm. Um. Watford are not averse to sacking coaches. I completely forgot about Marina Dijkhusen, who seemed yeah, well, to tick all the boxes, you write, but was sacked after nine games. Uh, of course, yeah, without him, you would never have had Dean Smith. Uh, Dijkhausen, worst manager in history well, of Brentford?
1: He, he, he apparently ticked a lot of the boxes. Uh, we went through quite a tough recruitment programme and everything else. It, it's sort of confirmation bias. They were... A, he had a couple of bad reviews, a couple of bad references, which Brentford ignored. And he came in and it was just obvious almost from day one that they'd made a mistake. He wasn't a good fit. And I think the one good th- one of the good things about Brentford is there is an amazing work ethic. And I think that Dijkhausen had a much more relaxed sort of Dutch sort of viewpoint about um training and everything else. And the players gave it a couple of weeks and then they went to, I think, to Benham and complained. They said, we're not fit. This guy doesn't know how to get us fit. This guy doesn't know tactically anything. What I like about it, we started off the season really badly. I think we had a lot of new players coming. We, we, a lot of players left at the end of the first season, like Andre Gray, Stuart Dallas, a few others, uh, Moses Ottobadio. And we had to bring in a lot of players quite quickly at the beginning of the season. And they took time to gel because most of them were from abroad. So we started off really badly. And the football was dire. So they took action, which is exactly the right thing to do. I mean, they made a massive mistake bringing him in in the first place. The next big great escape we had was that our first choice for new manager or head coach, sorry, head coach, was a certain Pep Clotet who was the assistant manager at Swansea City or Swansea. And we were very taken by him and apparently they a bit too hard to get. Uh, otherwise, he would have ended up as the Brentford head coach. Now, who knows? But let's just say he hasn't, you know, didn't cover himself in glory. I think he went to Oxford and yeah. then he went to Birmingham. So Dean Smith was a breath of fresh air.
0: And it is incredible. Well, it's great for Dean Smith that he's back at Villa and keeping them in the division. They're such a well-run club. Perslow, Edens, they've got money coming in, and they should be a top 15 club. They shouldn't go down uh, for a long, long time. Uh, And you can read more about the two seasons at BFC Talk and in the books £3.49 each on Kindle. Why wouldn't you buy them? Ahead of the Game and Growing Pains. Both of them are in the football library. And we've discussed Brentford Football Club. And whenever I tick off the 92... I always try and ask for the most impressive 11 or the best 11. You don't have Uh, to put too much thought into it, just the first one that goes into your head. Will you be playing a 4-3-3 or a (laughs) 3-4-3? I haven't
1: got a clue. I haven't even thought who's going to be in it yet. I will do a best Brentford team in top of my head since we went back to the Championship. I I don't really see the point in going back to the the end, end of the 60s when I first started watching them although I, I will give a name check to my absolute ultimate hero, look him up, Alan Mansley. Alan Mansley, who died tragically very young, was our George Best. Oh. And he was an incredible winger who burst onto the scene like a meteor and then flamed out very quickly. But what a man, what a player. Uh, anyway, best team since the we went into the championship in 2014. God, I mean, literally, I'm I'm making this up as I go along. By the way,
0: while you're making it up, I haven't mentioned Marcelo Trotter, Michael Oliver, 2013, because I don't think it's oh, my place then to... Then don't.
1: Then don't. <laughs> um, right, so I I will have in goal... I'll have David Raya in goal. I will have Maxime Colleen at right-back, Rico Henry at left-back, my centre-halves, Tarkowski. We hate Tarkowski. Oh, yes, I, I read...
0: read it. Uh, it was quite a... A yeah. Momentous exit.
1: Good player, but, good but, head. But but, we, but we'll you know he was a wonderful centre, ball playing centre half. So we'll have Tarkowski at centre half, and it could be Bieland. But no, I, I'm going to have Pinnock at with with centre half with him because Pinnock is a Ethan Pinnock is a wonderful player. Oh, he came
0: from Barnsley. He could yeah. could end up yeah. against Barnsley in this playoff. All right. In
1: terms of midfield, well, i certainly have Alex Pritchard. I know he was a lone player, but Alex Pritchard was absolutely wonderful. Um, I'll have Josh McEachran. No, of course I'm not going to have Josh
0: McEachran. Let's pause on McEachran, because <laughs> no, you they, wrote, they, I cannot think it. of another Brentford player who has polarised opinion amongst fans with his thread on the Griffin Park grapevine running to an amazing 348 pages. He's now at Milton Keynes Dons or franchise, yeah. having terminated his deal at Birmingham. We had him for five minutes before he got injured. Yeah, And it's what could have been, what could have been. So instead uh, of him, you're going for... I, I'm
1: going to have Romain Sawyers. I'm going to do something really weird for my ball winner. I'm going to have Alan McCormack. Uh, ooh, Alan McCormack. Because he would just get people going. He, he was wonderful. Uh, crowd loved him. You know, have it. But
0: yep, he could passion. play... He could,
1: he could play a bit as well. He could play a bit as well.
0: Have you got a left I mean, winger?
1: Yeah, I'm going to have Ben Rama on the left wing, because he was just incredible. Potter on the right wing, and my centre forward, it's got to be Oli Watkins.
0: What was there your reaction go. when Watkins scored for England, albeit against I Lichtenstein? I was
1: so happy. I was so happy. The point about it is everyone loves Oli Watkins, and the reason they love Oli Watkins is he's a good egg silly expression but you know what I mean Southgate likes he, good eggs
0: he's going to take 23 well, or 25 good eggs he, he's
1: summer. a good egg he has and know that makes me sound like an old fart which probably I I'm not but you know he's been well brought up he has values he's a good man you have a look at things that Ollie, uh, Ollie Watkins has done uh, to support some disabled Brentford fans and there's one in particular uh, he, yeah, he's a lovely 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 guy He's made himself through sheer talent and hard work into an incredible player. So every Brentford player, every Brentford fan adores Ollie Watkins. Um, You know, there's some Brentford players, ex-Brentford players who come back who you boo. And it's all about the manner. It's about manners. It's about the manner in which you leave. And for Ollie, it was his time. He earned it. He had three years with us. His time to go. Same with Neil Mope, He had two years. It was his turn to go. End of this season, Rico will have had, I think, four years. His turn to go. You know, we are a feeder club. We are a development club. We can't be anything else. That's my 11. I, I'd probably have to think of someone else rather than Alan McCormack, but it's off the top of my head. So
0: I did ambush no. you slightly, but I'm sure right. in, the, in in lieu of pub chat. Uh, and finally, can I? Um, one thing you do is you praise the entire backroom staff. Rasmus Ankersen comes across... No. In every book or every piece I read about him as the future of football, we need more Rasmus Ankersens in football. Are are there any drawbacks to having him there? He's also CEO at Magellan.
1: No, I mean, I don't know him. I know Phil Giles. I've met Phil Giles on many occasions. I've never spoken a word to Rasmus. I can see he's obviously a brilliant, mercurial guy. I suspect he's one of these guys who's macro rather than micro. And I think Phil is the detail man. Yeah, it's a wonderful blend. We 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 are a very 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 well run club. We punch above our weight. We do things differently. We do clever things. They don't always work, but you know, if we didn't do this, we'd be in Conference South at the
0: moment. Mm. And you wouldn't um, have this delightful stadium that is welcoming no. Watford uh, the weekend.
1: Yeah, I wish it would welcome me sometime. It
0: will. But, um, once everyone's vaccinated, we will be able yeah. to get back to football. I do hope that the Championship playoff final has fans in it, um, yeah. and it will certainly because it's not far. Brentford and Wembley are practically next door. Uh, but yeah. is the likelihood that you'll be watching at home on? Sky. I don't know.
1: I, I don't know. I mean, if I can get there, if I'm entitled to go there, I will. If we get there, I will. Uh, if I can, if I'm allowed.
0: Well, if we I can will see. My way
1: to- Oh, I'll have Christian Norgaard in there instead of uh, Alan McConnell. Good.
0: Very good indeed. So, your next book, will it be football-y or, like Mike Calvin, will it be non-football-y? That's
1: a good question. I don't know. I would love to write a... I was offered a biography of a very famous ex-Arsenal player whose name I'm not going to mention. I'm actually open to ideas. I know it sounds ridiculous. Um, So, if anyone wants to... You know, email me, grevillewaterman at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter at Grevwaterman. Uh, hopefully not abusive. Um, I'm up for ideas. You know, I'd love, I, I can write reasonably well and I'd love to find some something football related if possible. Oh, I'll tell you the, the other wonderful things that I've got and they're one, two, three, four, six volumes of them. This is going back from 94, 95 to 2000, 2001. There used to be a compendium. You can still find them on Amazon for about a quid each. They, each year, there'd be a compendium of fanzines called Survival of the Fattest. Survival of the Fattest. And it was basically a guy who would go around to every fanzine editor at the time when this was when fanzines were in their pomp. And he would get them to write a 2,000-word review of their club season. So it's a compendium. It's literally, it's almost like Rothmans, but from the perspective of fans. So if you want to find out what Bristol Rovers did in 94-95... And you know, and the 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 mad goalkeeping of Brian Parkin, or wherever it was. Yeah, it was Brian Parkin. They're
0: massive books. I've just had a look. The ninety-five-six is four hundred and fifty pages. Yeah. I suppose it has to be. ninety-two. How, how much 10.
1: are they? How, how much are they on Amazon?
0: Uh, used. You can get it one sixty-nine with yeah. delivery three thirty-six. I right. think I'm going to have so to get one of these.
1: I have. I am looking at them on my shelf. I've got Survival of the fattest, I've got one, two, three. I've got six of them. One, two, three five, six, from '94,'95 to 2000, 2001. And those were the, the peak years. I think they did one afterwards was rubbish. And each one's about 400 pages, and they are hilarious and brilliant. It's like a social history of football written by the fanzine editors of each club. Some, of course, can't write, but the majority of them can. And I endorse them to you and any of your listeners. Because they are brilliant, utterly brilliant. I wouldn't part, I haven't looked at them for years, but I would never part with them. Just like
0: the library, Just like the library, Just like the library, Just like the, library, just like the